Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. This week uh, has been an interesting week for me. Uh, I normally try to prepare uh, throughout the week, uh, but I was very busy this week. I'm not making excuses right now. I do have a message, I promise. I know I started hearing myself say that, like I'm, 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 pre, I'm, I'm giving you a heads up that this might not be a home run here, but no, I, I've, I wasn't able to prepare like I normally do, but from Monday throughout the week, I kept hearing a phrase over and over again. And uh, I'm going to keep the anticipation on what that phrase is. But uh, I kept hearing this phrase over and over again. And everything that I read, my, the, my normal daily scripture reading, uh, the book that I've been reading, everything just kept aligning with that word. Um, and then I, I, I began hearing another word uh, towards the end of the week. So uh, two different words that kind of went hand in hand together. And so I, I'm really excited about this morning's message. Um, you know, I, I, every week I always try to come in with, with what I'm hearing from the Lord, right? I don't want to just come in and just give a Bible study that, that, that had no impact on my own life. But this is something that's impact, been impacting me this week, and I want to share with you what that is. So one of the words I began hearing this week is the word pretender. Uh, the word pretender. And uh, for some reason, every now and then, like, the Lord will just strike me with this mood to write stuff. And so I, I, I begin writing out what this word pretender means. Um, and so I'm going to just read that to you here this morning. So the world is full of pretenders, people pretending they have their act together, that they all know the right answers to fix a broken system, pretending that they live fulfilling lives when in the shadows they are still wanting more. These pretenders tell, how they should tell others how they should live, but are drowning in hypocrisy. On social media, they look like resolute warriors sacrificing it all to the cause. But the only sacrifice they actually make is the energy it takes to place their thumb on the share button. With just one click, they reap the social rewards of someone else's passion. Social media isn't the only home for pretenders. They also live in government buildings, schools, supermarkets, hardware stores, and yes, even the church. They are moms and dads, sons and daughters, presidents and pastors. They are rich and poor, male and female, white and black, atheist and front row church attenders. No offense to all of you sitting on the front row this morning. Pretenders are everywhere and could be anyone. They let the light shine only on what they want God and people to see. Their achievements, their behaved children, their shiny suits and press dresses. But they have another life. And this one they are not so proud of. They keep it in the cold, dark place. It's the home of their failures, their unconquered sins, their messy houses and tattered clothes. Pretenders are dangerous. They are dangerous because they do the right things for the wrong reasons. They are dangerous to themselves because they are liars who believe their own lie that everything is good and nothing needs fixed. This is a pretender. A pretender is somebody who does the right thing for the wrong reason. Someone who in the light in front of everybody else, looks all put together, 
looks like they're, they're doing everything right, drops these subtle hints about prayer and about, uh, about living right, but all the while in the shadows, they're just living in hypocrisy because their life does not look like what it looks like in public. Their life in public looks like they have it all put together, but their life in the shadows, their real self is actually broken. And the scary thing about it is that everyone around them thinks that they're good. Even sometimes themselves, they've convinced themselves that I'm good. But the reality is behind closed doors, they're broken, they're lost, they're hurting, and they're lying to everybody else and to themselves. This is what a pretender is. Pretender, how, how you can kind of identify yourself. And, and, and what I want to do this morning is some self-evaluation. Self, um, how you can tell if you've been pretending is you trivialize sin. One of the things pretenders do is they trivialize sin. So for instance, well, that was just a small lie, right? Like it was actually beneficial for the other person is what we convince ourselves that we told them that. In reality, it was to save our own neck, but we're gonna convince ourselves that that little white lie was beneficial to save face for the other person. We trivialize sin. Or, or maybe, or maybe it, it was just, it, the, the, the image wasn't total pornography, right? It, the lady was clothed, so it wasn't bad for me to linger my eyes, let my eyes linger on that image, right? I, I was, it was no big deal. Like there was no lust going on inside of me. You know, no, I was reading the article, right? <laughs> I was reading the Facebook post. I wasn't lingering on the picture. We trivialize sin. We trivialize sin. That's one way you can spot a pretender. Or another one. Here we go. Another one. I was just having a social drink. And I only got maybe a little bit buzzed off of the alcohol. You know, no big deal. Nobody was hurt. Just a little bit intoxicated. We trivialize sin. We make it not a big deal. And because of that, we become pretenders. Acting like we have it all right. Acting like we have it all together. But in reality, there's something still inside of us that's very broken and very lost and very unfulfilled. I want to tell you a story out of this book by a man named, oh, see that catch? Cat-like reflexes right there. All right. This book is uh, entitled The Ragamuffin Gospel by a man named Brennan Manning. I've shared another one of his resources once called Abba's Child. Now, I got to clarify, because apparently last time I said that, everybody thought I said Amish Child. So I apologize if you went out and bought a book called Amish Child. That was not the book I intended to share. The book is actually called Abba's Child, A-B-B-A apostrophe S, Child. Um, so th this, this writer has, has uh, just very much so impacted me. His name is Brennan Manning. In 2013, he actually passed away. Um, but his, his, his works, his influence very much still lives on. But he tells a story in this book entitled The Ragamuffin Gospel about this man named Max. 
this gentleman named Max. So around 1975, Brennan Manning was, uh, or had gone to this uh, alcoholics rehabilitation center. And uh, he would like to have said that he went there as a counselor, but in reality, Brennan went there as a patient. He was an alcoholic and he struggled with that much of his, much of his life. Um, even through living for Jesus, he struggled with alcoholism. And in 1975, he was at this alcoholic uh, rehabilitation center. He said he was there with 24 other men. And on the very first night of the, uh, the, uh, the what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, first session, thank you. The very first session, all 24, 25 men formed a U-shaped circle in this, this big room, this big recreation room. This U-shaped circle, U-shaped circle. And the counselor, whose name was Murphy O'Connor, came in and sat a chair at the end, open end of this U-circle. And he invited this gentleman named Max to come sit in the hot seat. Come sit in that chair. Max stands up, and I'll describe Max a little bit to you. He's a shorter man, but very well put together. Uh, very, uh, very dominant type of presence about him. He has a wife and five children. Very wealthy man. He owned his own business, was the CEO and president of his own business, and uh, just carried himself like a man who was high on the ladder in the corporate world, just very strong man. So he goes up and he sits down in the seat and Murphy O'Connor, the counselor, looks at him and says, Max, why don't you tell us about how you drink like a pig? Max looked at him taken back and he said, excuse me, I think that's a little out of line. Murphy O'Connor looked at him and said, well, we'll see, we'll see. I want you to go ahead and tell me about your history of drinking. What's your drinking history? So Max confidently and arrogantly sits up in his chair and he says, well, I'm a businessman. So I go to my office. First thing in the morning, I have a couple Marys. And then uh, in the afternoon after lunch, I get together with the guys and we have a couple Martins. Murphy O'Connor stops him there. He says, Marys and Martins. He said, yeah, they're Bloody Marys. They're Martins. He's already given them pet names, right? They're his Marys and his Martins. He says, so I have, I have two Marys in the morning. I have two Martins in the afternoon with my, my, with my colleagues. And then afterwards, I go home to my wife and I've got her hooked on some Martins. So before dinner, we have two more martinis together before dinner. We go the rest of the way throughout the night. We put our kids to bed, and before we go to sleep, we have two more martinis before we go to bed. He's saying all of this very confidently, very arrogantly, very high on himself. Murphy O'Connor looks at him, and he says, so totally, or total, you have eight drinks a day. And Max looked at him, and he said, yep, eight drinks a day, not a sip less, not a sip more, eight drinks a day. That's it. Murphy O'Connor looked at him and said, you're a liar. You're a liar. Defensively, Max begins uh, defending himself, saying that I pride myself on being an honest man. That's how I've gotten so far in business. How dare you question my integrity? One of the guys in the, in the group, one of the other alcoholics, said, you're a liar. You're a liar. 
He said, and then the, then the gentleman asked him, he said, do you hide any other drinks within the house? And of course, Max said, no, I don't hide any drinks in the house. I actually, I have a full open bar. I don't need to hide anything. I have a bar full of alcoholic drinks in my house. There's no reason for me to hide anything. You're a liar. They keep telling him. After berating him a little bit, he finally admits that he does stash a little bit of alcohol by his nightstand. He carries a small uh, little uh, uh, thing of it in his suitcase when he travels. He admits that maybe every now and then he has a little bit more because he is a businessman. He has to entertain, right? When he has people over to his house, he has to entertain. So he has a huge stash of alcohol in his, his garage. And, uh, but, but even within all of that, just beaming with pride and arrogance and, and trivializing his alcoholism making it sound like I'm no alcoholic. I can stop anytime I want to. I only do it because I entertain. Murphy O'Connor calls for a telephone to come out. So they wheel out a telephone and the telephone is, is hooked up to an intercom system so everybody in the room can hear the conversation. He picks up the phone and he dials a number. And over the phone you hear, hear someone say hello. This is Hank. Murphy O'Connor tells him, Hank, I understand that you are a bartender at a local bar there in whatever town Max lived in. And he said, yes, that's true. He said, I have a, a gentleman here named Max and I have a signed affidavit from his family saying that you can give me any information that you want about Max. And he said, I, I'm trying to gather some information about his drinking history. Could you tell me your experience, your encounters with Max? The bartender was a little hesitant at first and was like, are you sure I'm, I'm allowed to do this? And he said, yes, I have the signed affidavit right here. Please tell me the history you have with Max. The bartender says, Max, he's a great guy. Everybody in the bar loves Max. Max buys drinks for everybody. He comes in, he has his usual six martinis. He drops $30 or so on martinis. He buys drinks for everybody in the, in, the, in the group. And he usually buys me a drink as the bartender. Everybody loves Max. As soon as he hung up the phone, Max stands up. And this time he's angry and he begins cussing Mac O'Connor, Murphy O'Connor up and down, telling him he has no right to dig into his personal life. He has no right to do this. Begins cursing his family. Begins calling him every name in the book. After a while, he eventually gains his composure. He regains his, his arrogant, uh, arrogant self and, and prideful self and, 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 and begins looking at all them and saying, hey, I apologize, and begins justifying himself, saying, even Jesus flipped the tables in the temple. No, I, I apologize, but even Jesus got a little bit angry. And he sits back down, and they berating, and the questioning keeps coming, and he has an answer for everything that's brought to him. Finally, the phone gets picked up one more time. Murphy O'Connor picks up the phone once more. And he calls the number. But this time, the voice that answers is a sweet, calm, quiet, female voice. And it's Max's wife. Murphy O'Connor says, uh, I understand that you are Max's wife. Um... Actually, I skipped a little part of the story before that's important. Before he called, before he called the number, one of the alcoholics 
asked him if he had ever been unkind to one of his children. Have you ever been unkind to one of your children? And Max's answer to that was, I'm glad you brought that up. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I took my boys out on a hiking trip and we had a great time. Two of my sons have graduated from Harvard University. And one of my sons was, and then the other gentleman interrupted him and said, that's not what I asked. I asked, have you ever been unkind to one of your children? And the gentleman said, I'm 64 years old. I've been, I've been a dad for a long time. And I know that at one point in every dad's life, he's been unkind to his child at least one time. Tell me, have you ever been unkind to your child? And Max responds with, well, there was this one time last December on Christmas Eve that I was a little bit unkind to my daughter, but I don't really remember the details. Murphy asked him, hey, will you, you share the details? Tell us what, what had happened. And, and he said, I, I, he got defensive and said, I don't remember the details. I was just unkind. That's all I remember. Every time I think about it, I feel heavy, but I don't remember the details. And that's when Murphy called his wife. So his wife answers the phone and Murphy O'Connor asks his wife, hey, Max says that last Christmas he was unkind to his daughter, your daughter. Can you tell us the details? So the wife says, I remember the day like it was yesterday. My daughter, all Christmas season long, told us, told Max and I, that all she wanted for Christmas was a brand new pair of shoes. She had a specific pair of shoes that she really wanted. So on Christmas Eve, Max tells her to hop in the car and he takes her to the store. And he gives her the money to go in and buy the shoes. She goes in and buys the shoes that she wants. And she comes out and gets back in the car, reaches over, gives her dad a big hug and a kiss and says, Dad, you are the best daddy ever. You are the best daddy ever. And it, Max was beaming with pride. Was, was so just overwhelmed with pride that, man, that's, my kids love me. And he decided he was going to celebrate. So on the way home, he stops at that local bar that he frequently visited. And he, it was a very cold December day. It was, uh, I think they said it was about 12 degrees above zero, just very chilly day. So Max left the truck running. So it would stay warm. He locked the doors and was going to just go in, grab a drink, and come right back out. When he walked into the bar, he saw his buddies standing there. His old army buddies that he hadn't seen in a very, very long time. So he gets excited. And he gets wrapped up in the excitement. Of course, they're encouraging him to keep drinking and keep drinking. And they just have a good old time. And so much so that he lost track of all time. Came out of the bar around midnight, completely drunk. Forgot his daughter was in the car. By that time, the gas had run out of the truck. She had been sitting in the car, shivering and freezing. By the time he got out there, both of her hands were frostbitten and her ears were frostbitten. By the time they got her to the emergency room, they had to amputate several of her fingers and now she is deaf for the rest of her life. When the wife finished telling the story, Max, squirming in his chair, he stood up and began stumbling around and jerking around. and Almost like somebody who had just gotten shot, just 
unable to control his body. And eventually he finally collapsed on all fours and just began weeping hysterically. Weeping hysterically. Overwhelmed with the guilt of what his drinking had done. Murphy O'Connor tells the rest of the group to go ahead and be dismissed. And they all begin walking up the stairs. And Brendan Manning says that none of us will ever forget that night because through the night, all they heard was the weeping and the wails that came from Max. Murphy O'Connor walked up to Max. He kicked him over and he said, you uncontainable slime. He said, you have a choice. You either go through the door or you go through the window, but you, we will not have liars in this program. The next morning, Murphy, or not Murphy, Max came back to Murphy O'Connor and begged for him to take him back into the program, which he did. Brennan said that, that in all of his life, he had never witnessed such a transformation in a person that he witnessed in Max. He said a man who was once full of arrogance and pride became one of the most humble and broken man in that week. And of all of the people, the men in the group, the rest of the week of all of the men, he was the one who was the most open and the one who shared the most, the deepest, the darkest things. He was the one who, who was the, the most humble out of all of the other men. At the end of the week, Max was in his room and he was reading a book and one of the other gentlemen that was in the program walked by and went into his room and Max was just sitting there staring at the book. It said that he stood, stared at the book for about five minutes or so and finally he looked up and when he looked up, he had tears running down his face and he looked at that other gentleman and he said, today was the first time I have ever prayed. Today was the first time I had ever prayed. And Max began his journey in finding Jesus that day. Max was a pretender. Max was a man who didn't want to see his own failures. And so what did he do? He hid them all in the shadows. And he brought his prideful, successful self to the light. And wouldn't allow anybody else to see the darkness. Only allowed people to see what was in the light. And because of that, he was broken, he was lost, and, and he was unfulfilled. And eventually that unfulfillment led to others' destruction. That's why I said at the beginning of this that, de that pretenders are dangerous. They're dangerous because they believe their own lies. They believe their own lies. Let me read to you a scripture out of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, it says, This is the life-giving message we heard him share, and it's still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. If we claim that we share life with him, but keep walking in the realm of darkness, we're fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we keep living in the pure light that surrounds him, we share unbroken fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. If we boast that we have no sin, 
we're only fooling ourselves and our strangers to the truth. But if we freely admit our sins and when his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every single time. God is just to forgive us our sins because of Christ. And he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this truth this morning. That the brokenness that you keep in the dark will not and cannot be healed until it is exposed to the light. Max could not defeat his alcoholism when he acted like he had it all put together. You know, it seemed kind of, it seemed kind of rude and it seemed kind of uh, merciless for Murphy O'Connor to shove him over at the end there, right? And call him slime. When I read that in the book, I thought, oh, oh my goodness, what, how, what kind of counselor is this guy? But, it, but the reality is until we realize and come to the full realization of our brokenness, we will never be able to expose it to the light. And if we can't ever expose it to the night, then we will wallow in that brokenness. How many of you have ever experienced a sin that you have not been able to overcome? Something that, that we call a sin cycle. Something that, that you, you struggle with, and then it seems like you have a little bit of victory in it, but then you fall right back into it. For me personally, I wasn't planning on going in this morning. For me personally, that sin cycle was pornography. When I was a young man, when I was a teenager, I struggled intensely with pornography. And I remember, I remember the struggle. And, and everybody in this room that has struggled with that can relate to this. You would struggle with it. You would feel the weight of guilt. And then you would just declare, I will never do that again. You repent before God and you say, I will never do that again. But to everybody else, you are this clean, good, holy person. And as long as I kept that struggle in the dark, I was never able to overcome it. It just was a continual cycle of messing up, asking for forgiveness, doing okay for a little while, messing up, asking for forgiveness, doing and doing okay for a little while. It was this cycle of sin that I was unable to overcome until I was willing to expose it to the light. And when I was able to expose it to the light, the Bible says there in 1 John that when we expose what he uncovers to the light, then Jesus is able to come in and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from all sin, from all shame. And it, when that exposure happens, then victory comes. Then victory can come. But we have to be willing to admit that we are broken and that we are lost and then expose it to the light. And through that exposure, he is able to then come in and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Let me tell you the second word I heard this week. The second word I heard throughout the week was this, the holy man, the holy man. At first, my first thoughts, of course, go to, uh, go to Jesus when you think of the holy man. It says in Hebrews 7, 26, that he is the high priest who, perf who perfectly fits our needs, holy, without a trace of evil, without the ability to deceive, incapable of sin, and exalted above the heavens. The holy man, I think of Jesus. But then as I, as I was hearing that word, I quickly realized Jesus was not, the father was not talking about Jesus, but was actually talking about us the holy man, 
And of course, when I say man, I'm not talking about just men. I'm talking about men and women in that sons and daughters of God. But the holy man is the word I kept hearing. And just like with pretenders, I felt like the Lord gave me a definition of what that looks like. The holy man is not holy on his own. There is no such thing as a man who is holy by his own measure other than Jesus. The holy man is the one who walks in the light and lets the blood of Jesus continually purge him of sin, who doesn't mask his shortcomings with church attendance, good public behavior, and chatter about reading his Bible and praying for others. The holy man shows his scars, admits his apathy, calls out his own lies, and bears it all to the light so that he can then begin to look more like Jesus. The holy man does not carry false pride, but instead walks in confident humility, declaring, I am not holy by my own actions, but I am holy because of his. I am not holy by my own actions, but I am holy because of his. The holy man does not mask his shortcomings. He does not hide his failures. The holy man does not pretend like he is perfect. When we think of holy people, we think of people who walk in perfection. And that's not the definition the Bible gives us of holy men. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us are perfect. But then it says in Colossians that he sees you as holy and righteous and spotless. So the holy man is not a man who is perfect. The holy man is the man who walks in the light, who bears all of his shortcomings and failures, who calls out his own lies and exposes them to the light. And then he begins walking in holiness because as he exposes all to the light, Jesus comes in and cleanses him from all unrighteousness. He purges him from all guilt. And he calls him and declares, the righteous judge, the only one who can judge us, looks at us and says, you are holy and righteous and without spot or wrinkle. My question to you today, the statement, I really, actually the statement I wanna make to you today the one thing I want to get across is this. It's time to stop pretending. It's time to stop pretending. It's time to stop masking our failures. Like I said in the thing there, with church attendance and chatter about prayer. All of those things are wonderful. But don't let that hide the fact if you're still broken inside. Don't let that hide the fact that you're still dealing with unconquered sin. Allow those things to be exposed to the light because in the exposure, in the exposure comes freedom from those things. In the exposure, when you finally, here's the deal. God will not bless a lie. God will not bless a lie. So as long as you keep lying to yourself and everybody else, you're going to keep wallowing in that same sin and failure over and over again, that same depression over and over again, until you are willing to come out and expose the lie for what it is. And when you begin to expose the lie, then Jesus comes and is able to then cleanse you and, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness.
So my question to you today, this morning, is do you want to be, look holy, or do you want to be holy? Do you want to look right, or do you want to actually be right? Do you want to look like you are free, or do you actually want to walk in true, real freedom? The difference, listen, the difference between the pretender and the holy man is honesty. The only difference between the pretender and the holy man is honesty. It's not perfection. I've already said that. It's not perfection. Neither one is perfect. Neither one is spotless, uh, or, or I should say, neither one has never sinned. Neither one is perfect. It's not that God loves one over the other. It's not that God forgives one or has more grace for one over the other. The only difference between the pretender and the holy man is honesty. The willingness to admit the brokenness. The willingness to expose the lie. And then to walk in total freedom after Jesus cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. Paul, would you come up? I have one more scripture to share with you. First John chapter three, starting in verse one. Look with wonder at the depths of the father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. Listen to that statement. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is because they didn't recognize him. That we can get to a place, that we can get to a place where we so look like Jesus that the world doesn't recognize us anymore. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become, but we do know that what, when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him. For we will see him as he truly is. And all who focus their hope on him will always be purifying themselves just as Jesus is pure. That one of these days, when we stand before Jesus and we have exposed all to the light, the Bible says that one of these days we will look just like him that we will look just like him, that the description I read to you out of Hebrews about being holy and sinless without sin, that description of him is what we will one day fully look like. But then I love how John goes on and he says, but the ones who follow Jesus, the ones who are continually going after him, it says that they are continually purifying themselves just as Jesus is pure. That, that our duty and our job on this earth is to constantly be looking to Jesus. And our, our goal and, our, and our, 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 um, our goal and our ambition is to be constantly purifying ourselves, asking the Lord, just as David did, God, find any wickedness inside of me. If there be anything inside of me that is wicked, God, I expose that to the light so that I can become more like you. Jesus, my desire is to look exactly like you and you are holy and pure and perfect. And the way to accomplish that is to expose any hidden thing to the light. 
to be able to expose any hidden thing to the light. Here in a moment, I'm gonna give an invitation to come up to the front here. We're gonna have a time where we can just, just expose whatever it is to the light. I love the altar call because it's, it's, it's not that you can't, uh, you can't access God anytime on your own, but there's something special. There's some, something special about the anointing in a moment. And I believe that anointing is here this morning to break every chain of bondage by exposing it to the light. And so here in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to come, but before I do, I wanna ask you the question once again. Do you wanna look free or do you wanna be free? Do you wanna act like you're holy or do you actually wanna walk in holiness? Do you wanna look right to everybody else or do you wanna actually be right? I believe today that there's gonna be a transformation from people going from pretenders to people going to holy man, to people being holy men. That there's gonna be a transformation this morning from pretenders to holy men. So I want you to go ahead and stand with me here this morning. If you're feeling anything this morning, if you're, if the Lord, if the Lord is highlighting any hidden sin, any hidden, maybe it's not even sin. Maybe it's just motivation. Maybe you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Maybe it's, maybe it's just the motivation of your heart. If there's anything that God is exposing to you in this moment, I want to invite you to come up to the front here and allow the Lord to shine his light on that thing so he can expose it. And, I, and as the word says, when he exposes it to the light, then he removes all sin and guilt, that he purges any sin and makes you right and you become holy and blameless and without a single spot or wrinkle in his sight. So if that's you this morning, I just invite you to come to the altar right now this morning. As Paul begins to sing and worship, I just invite you to come and allow that thing to be exposed into the light so it can be purged forever in the name of Jesus. I invite you to come.